Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. The Seeing Eye by C.S. Lewis Part 1 The Russians, I am told, report that they have not found God in outer space. On the other hand, a good many people in many different times and countries claim to have found God, or been found by God, here on earth. The conclusion some want us to draw from these data is that God does not exist. As a corollary, those who think they have met him on earth were suffering from a delusion. But other conclusions might be drawn. 1. We have not yet gone far enough in space. There had been ships on the Atlantic for a good time before America was discovered. 2. God does exist, but is locally confined to this planet. 3. The Russians did find God in space without knowing it because they lacked the requisite apparatus for detecting him. 4. God does exist, but is not an object either located in a particular part of space, nor diffused, as we once thought ether was, throughout space. The first two conclusions do not interest me. The sort of religion for which they could be a defense would be a religion for savages. The belief in a local deity who can be contained in a particular temple, island, or grove. That, in fact, seems to be the sort of religion about which the Russians, or some Russians, and a good many people in the West, are being irreligious. It is not in the least disquieting that no astronauts have discovered a god of that sort. The really disquieting thing would be if they had. The third and fourth conclusions are the ones for my money. Looking for God, or heaven, by exploring space is like reading or seeing all Shakespeare's plays in the hope that you will find Shakespeare as one of the characters or Stratford as one of the places. Shakespeare is, in one sense, present at every moment in every play. But he is never present in the same way as Falstaff or Lady Macbeth. Nor is he diffused through the play like a gas. If there were an idiot who thought plays existed on their own, without an author, not to mention actors, producer, manager, stagehands, and what not, our belief in Shakespeare would not be much affected by his saying, quite truly, that he had studied all the plays and never found Shakespeare in them. The rest of us, in varying degrees according to our perceptiveness, found Shakespeare in the plays. But it is a quite different sort of finding from anything our poor friend has in mind. Even he has in reality been in some way affected by Shakespeare, but without knowing it. He lacked the necessary apparatus for detecting Shakespeare. Now, of course, this is only an analogy. I am not suggesting at all that the existence of God is as easily established as the existence of Shakespeare. My point is that, if God does exist, he is related to the universe more as an author is related to a play than as one object in the universe is related to another. If God created the universe, he created space-time, which is to the universe as the meter is to a poem, or the key 
is to music. To look for him in one item within the framework which he himself invented is nonsensical. If God, such a God as any adult religion believes in, exists, mere movement in space will never bring you any nearer to him or any farther from him than you are at this very moment. You can neither reach him nor avoid him by traveling to Alpha Centauri or even to other galaxies. A fish is no more, and no less, in the sea after it has swum a thousand miles than it was when it set out. How, then, it may be asked, can we either reach or avoid him? The avoiding, in many times and places, has proved so difficult that a very large part of the human race failed to achieve it. But in our own time and place, it is extremely easy. Avoid silence. Avoid solitude. Avoid any train of thought that leads off the beaten track. Concentrate on money, sex, status, health, and, above all, on your own grievances. Keep the radio on. Live in a crowd. Use plenty of sedation. If you must read books, select them very carefully. But you'd be safer to stick to the papers. You'll find the advertisements helpful, especially those with a sexy or a snobbish appeal. About the reaching. I am a far less reliable guide. That is because I never had the experience of looking for God. It was the other way around. He was the hunter, or so it seemed to me, and I was the deer. He stalked me like a redskin, took unerring aim, and fired. And I am very thankful that that is how the first conscious meeting occurred. It forearms one against subsequent fears that the whole thing was only wish-fulfillment. Something one didn't wish for can hardly be that. But it is significant that this long-evaded encounter happened at a time when I was making a serious effort to obey my conscience. No doubt it was far less serious than I supposed, but it was the most serious I had made for a long time. One of the first results of such an effort is to bring your picture of yourself down to something nearer life-size. And presently you begin to wonder whether you are yet, in any full sense, a person at all. Whether you are entitled to call yourself I. It is a sacred name. In that way, the process is like being psychoanalyzed, only cheaper, I mean in dollars. In some other ways, it may be more costly. You find that what you called yourself is only a thin film on the surface of an unsounded and dangerous sea. But not merely dangerous. Radiant things, delights and inspirations come to the surface as well as snarling resentments and nagging lusts. One's ordinary self is, then, a mere facade. There's a huge area out of sight behind it. And then, if one listens to the physicists, one discovers that the same is true of all things around us. These tables and chairs, this magazine, the trees, clouds and mountains are facades. Poke, scientifically, into them, and you find the unimaginable structure of the atom.
That is, in the long run, you find mathematical formulas. There are you, whatever you means, sitting reading. Out there, whatever there means, is a white page with black marks on it. And both are facades. Behind both lies, well, whatever it is. The psychologists and the theologians, though they use different symbols, equally use symbols when they try to probe the depth behind the facade called you. That is, they can't really say, it is this. But they can say, it is in some way like this. And the physicists, trying to probe behind the other facade, can give you only mathematics. And the mathematics may be true about the reality, but it can hardly be the reality itself, any more than contour lines or real mountains. I am not in the least blaming either set of experts for this state of affairs. They make progress. They are always discovering things. If governments make a bad use of the physicists' discoveries, or if novelists and biographers make a bad use of the psychologists' discoveries, the experts are not to blame. The point, however, is that every fresh discovery, far from dissipating, deepens the mystery. Presently, if you are a person of a certain sort, if you are one who has to believe that all things which exist must have unity, it will seem to you irresistibly probable that what lies ultimately beyond the one facade also lies ultimately behind the other. And then, again, if you are that sort of person, you may come to be convinced that your contact with that mystery in the area you call yourself is a good deal closer than your contact through what you call matter. For in the one case, I, the ordinary conscious I, am continuous with the unknown depth. And after that, you may come, some do, to believe that that voice, like all the rest I must speak symbolically, that voice which speaks is your conscience. And in some of your intensest joys, which is sometimes so obstinately silent, sometimes so easily silenced, and then at other times so loud and emphatic, is in fact the closest contact you have with the mystery. And therefore, finally, to be trusted, obeyed, feared, and desired more than all other things. But still, if you are a different sort of person, you will not come to this conclusion. I hope everyone sees how this is related to the astronomical question from which we started. The process I have been sketching may equally well occur, or fail to occur, wherever you happen to be. I don't mean that all religious and all irreligious people have either taken this step or refused to take it. Once religion and its opposite are in the world, and they have both been in it for a very long time, the majority in both camps will be simply conformists. Their belief or disbelief will result from their upbringing and from the prevailing tone of the circles they live in. They will have done no hunting for God, and no flying for God on their own. 
But if no minorities who did these things on their own existed, I presume that the conforming majorities would not exist either. Don't imagine I'm despising these majorities. I am sure the one contains better Christians than I am, the other nobler atheists than I was. Space travel really has nothing to do with the matter. To some, God is discoverable everywhere. To others, nowhere. Those who do not find him on earth are unlikely to find him in space. Hang it all, we're in space already. Every year we go a huge circular tour in space. But send a saint up in a spaceship, and he'll find God in space, as he found God on earth. Much depends on the seeing eye. Part 1. Part 2. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>